And welcome to everybody who is on Facebook. It is good to see you. I'm not as multitasking as my husband, so I have no idea who's here, but hello to all of you. So. And hello to Pastor Brent, who is at home. Um, I, I don't know if it got mentioned earlier this morning, but he had surgery on his eyes this week. So he had the surgery where they raise up your eyelids. And do you know he has blue eyes? You maybe have not seen that because his eyes have gotten, his eyelids have gotten so heavy that it's like, oh, that's right. You have these bright blue eyes. So um, he is actually right on track and he's doing good. But his eyes are pretty swollen and um, a little bit itchy. And it looks like he's got a heavy layer of red eyeshadow on. Um, but he's, he's doing just fine. So he'll be back next week, but thought he'd be better off today just staying at home. So, so I am getting the opportunity to speak this morning, so I am pretty excited about that. So um, as Pastor Andy said, next week we'll be starting an Advent series on the King, and so that'll be interesting. And also I'd like to welcome Terry and Shuri Brown. They are here with us. You can, they can kind of wave. Um, they, he is our district secretary treasurer. And has been the entire time that we have been in the district. So for Brent and I, these are some of our leaders. These are some of our mentors. And so we're excited to have them here with us this morning. So, All right. So this morning, uh, we are talking, well, today we are talking about Thanksgiving, right? And usually during Thanksgiving, we talk about what we're thankful for. And so we talk about um, things that we're, we're grateful for our blessings. We're thankful for what we have. And this is totally appropriate. Because when we think back to the original Thanksgiving, a lot of those people, the year before, they'd lost half of their population. Like, can you imagine? Half, half of the community gone to death because they didn't have shelter, they didn't have food. So when they got around to this Thanksgiving, and they were thankful, they were thankful to be alive. They were thankful to have food. They were thankful to have family. They were thankful to have shelter. And I think some of us are feeling that way today, right? We have people this year who've been dealing with cancer and organ transplants and some pretty, pretty serious stuff. So we're thankful to be alive. We're thankful to be here. Uh, we're thankful for modern medicine that can open our eyes and take out the parts of our hips that don't work and all of those things. We're, there's a lot we have to be thankful for. Some of us have been going through some real hard financial hardships, and so we are thankful to have jobs, and we're thankful to have food and shelter. Some people have had difficulty having children, but we have some new babies on the way, which is so much fun. So we're thankful for all of that, right? There are so many things that we have to be thankful for, and so normally on the week before Thanksgiving, we might talk about being thankful and about being grateful. But instead today, we're going to flip around this idea of thankfulness and we're going to look at it from a different perspective. So as we enter this holiday season, instead of looking at what we have and to be thankful for, we're going to be examining the idea of generosity. So you can go to where we've been. We've been in the book of Acts, and so we're just going to continue right in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and then going on into Acts chapter 5, verse 11. And we're going to call this thanking forward. You all have heard like paying it forward, right? So it's a kind of idea. So we're thanking forward. What are we going to do with this thankfulness that we have? So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 36. I'm going to start out with just that part. All the believers were in one heart and mind. Okay, remember, this is talking about the early church. So if you haven't been here the last few weeks, we've been talking about the early church. 
And what this is after Jesus went into heaven and the apostles began to take leadership and the church began. So that's what we're looking at. So all the believers were in one heart, one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. All right, we're going to stop right there. All right, so verse 32 says that all the believers were one in heart and mind. I'm just thinking about that. Think about us. I, I see a few of you looking like, uh-huh, yeah. They were all in one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. So I don't think this means that they were living in a commune and pooling all of their resources. That's not the idea that we get from this. More that they had their own possessions, but they still shared what they had to help out their church community. They didn't hold tightly to their possessions, but they were willing to give of their talents and of their resources when it was needed. So Leviticus 19.18, if you've ever done one of those read through the Bible in a year, and you get to where you have to read through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and you think, I will never get out of this. All right, so think of Leviticus with all of these laws, and it's this long series of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And at the end of that whole list in Leviticus 19.18, it says to love your neighbor as yourself. So we think of all of these things that we should do or should not do, but it's all wrapped up in loving each other. And this is reinforced in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, which kind of recaps that little bit in Leviticus. And it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. So I was reading this and thought, well, yeah, duh. But then I started to think about the definition of love. And so this isn't really what, what we're talking about today, but I think we just have to break out and talk about this for a minute. Our culture right now <clears throat> has a really warped view of love. Right now, everyone says love is simply accepting everyone as they are. Everyone is okay, and everything is okay. And if you dare to question someone's actions, then you don't love them. Have you seen that or heard that or been aware of that? So several years ago, I think a lot of people here attended the funeral of Linda's son, and it was up in um, Funeral Home in Lincoln, and he was part of a motorcycle community, and they had a very large commanding presence at that funeral. Do you remember that? A lot of you were there. I see your heads nodding. They, I remember um, they were blocking the entrance of the funeral home grounds, and they wouldn't let you in unless you were cleared. Like, they were that protective of their guy. They loved their guy. So at one point, Jill and I were talking about this, and her initial statement was, wouldn't it be nice if the church was just like that motorcycle gang? We just accept everyone just as they are. So we started talking about that a little bit. And um, finally, we landed at the conclusion that, yes, the church should accept everyone just the way they are. However, 
if we truly love people, we won't leave them there. So I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. If we see people on a path of destruction, if we love them, do we keep letting them destroy themselves? Is that love? Or do we show them the light, lead them to healing, and walk alongside them and support them until they're strong? That's what love is, right? So when the Bible is talking about loving one another, it's not saying let everybody do whatever they want to do and smile. It's always talking about love as a way to lead people to Christ and strengthen the body of believers and bring healing. That's what love is. So love your neighbor as yourself from a biblical perspective of love. So in this passage, the believers are showing love as an action. They were willing to give up their own preferences and their own possessions for the good of other people. So the first point today, which I am doing three points, by the way, which I know is kind of the traditional thing, um, but it actually works. Like at school, if I am modifying a test for a student who struggles to learn and there's four answer choices on a multiple choice test, I'll knock one out and there's only three, and then they can manage that much better than if there were four. I don't know why it is. So yeah, there's going to be three points today. So the first one is to reach out in a spirit of love. So we're talking about generosity. We're talking about giving. Let's do it in the spirit of love. So when I think back on the early church, I find it interesting that there were people in the church who had money and wealth. And there were also people who were desperately in need. So what connected them? They were very different. But what connected them? Verse 32 said they had the same heart and mind. They were obviously very different, but what was the same? It was their belief in Jesus as Lord and their commitment to serving him. Okay, but think about this. This was a really new concept in those days. We've had 2,000 years of the church being around and in one form or another, but for those people, this was brand new, brand new. Jesus had just ascended into heaven. There was no church model to follow. Many of the people in their culture thought they were absolute lunatics, right? So what brought them together? It was their devotion to serving Christ. It was their devotion that they believed that Jesus was God and they were going to serve him regardless of their social differences. So think about us today. What connects us today? We have different professions. We have different cultures, different economic statuses, different backgrounds, different hobbies. What connects us? You know, some people think the church is a social club and they go to church to find a social club. And, of course, we want fellowship. That's one of the main reasons we go to church. But the main thing that connects us is our commitment to our belief in Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen? Amen? Uh, and our commitment to serving him. And we need each other. We need each other. So because of their unity, they were able to be selfless and giving. That's what it says in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They had a unity. They were all headed in the same direction, and they were able to be selfless, and they were able to be giving. So let's look at some examples. Into verse 36. Uh, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so just to make sure, again, that we understand the language of what's happening here, the apostles were the leaders of the early church. They had been Jesus' disciples, 
And then once Jesus ascended into heaven, they be, their name kind of changed to apostles. They became the first leaders, the first pastors, the first administrators, the first missionaries. So they were the ones that were really getting things going. So when Barnabas, who we will hear about later in Acts, because he kind of was a key figure in Acts, but when Barnabas sold this land, he brought the money, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so um, this is interesting because that was really selfless. I, I think of it, what he did. Essentially what he did is he said, he, I sold some land, here's, here's the money. He gave it to the leaders and said, do with it as God directs you to use it. Now a lot of us today, we want to categorize. <laughs> We're like, here's my money, but I want this much to go to the women's group and this much to go to children. This needs to go to a special project. So I, that would be my nature. So I think on what Barnabas did, how he just gave he just gave and said, I'm going to trust God to take it from here. That was really, really, really selfless. When we give, when we're generous, we have to remember that we're relinquishing control of what we give. doesn't matter what we give, whether it's money or time or whatever. We're relinquishing that control. We're giving. So therefore, we have to have the same attitude that Barnabas had. God, here's what I have to give. You use it. You multiply it. Now it's yours. And there's a freedom when we can just give. But if we want to control it, are we giving or are we simply delegating? Here's my money. Here's how you can use it. That's delegating, right? But if I'm giving and relinquishing control, I'm giving it to God. This attitude is not natural. It's not natural for any of us to have an attitude like that. The verses that we just read said that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy people among them. And as I read this, I think, God, we need your grace. Give us your grace. We need the attitude of Christ who is willing to pour himself out for us because my attitude is to hold. But God is saying we can give. And I learned this a lot from my dad. Some of you had the opportunity to meet my dad years ago before he passed away. I wish you guys could know my dad. He just was, I don't know, he's just one of those people. I'll never forget, Janet, my dad was dealing with Louis bodies, and he needed a haircut, and my parents came to visit, and my mom said, I don't know what to do, but dad really needs a haircut, and I keep trying to take him in to get a haircut, but it just never works out, and I don't even know, I think I probably talked to Abby, your daughter-in-law, and said, I don't know, do you know anybody who can help me give my dad a haircut? And she said, oh, yeah, my mom would do great at that. And we brought my dad to, to Janet's shop, and she was so good with him. So I've loved this woman for, like, I don't know, 13, 14 years because of how she just was so loving to my dad. But my dad was one of these amazing people. And I remember when we got married, uh, they were moving. Now, he said, I know he, they were moving because it was... God was directing them on, but they said they were moving because Brent and I needed to be able to be our own couple without them in the same little town. So that's why they, I don't think that's true, but that could be my dad because that's how he would think. But, um, but they were moving three states away and didn't want to take their full-size van with them. So they gave us a van, which was great because we really needed a second vehicle. So it was back in the day of those big conversion vans, you know, and the back seat went down into a bed. And we loved that van. Um, in fact, right after I graduated from college, we took a three-week vacation, and we drove to Alaska 
which was a lot of fun. So we camped our way to Alaska, and that van, the back seat, just went into a bed, and we camped up, we camped around Alaska, we camped back, and it was great. But eventually, the van didn't meet our needs anymore. And I remember saying to my parents, so we're thinking we need to get rid of the van. Do you want to share the money from the sale? And my dad said, no, we gave that to you as a gift. You just do with it what you want. And if you think it's time for you to sell it, go ahead and sell it. That's just fine. And whatever money you make of it, invest in your next car, you're good. When he gave the van to us, he relinquished control of it. He just gave it to us. There were no strings attached. Just gave us the van. So when we give, let's give like Barnabas, with open hands and just allowing the Lord to use it. Let's look at another example. Verses 5, so we're gonna, now we're going to go into chapter 5, starting at verses 1 through 10. So Barnabas was one example. We'll look at another one. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young man came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. All right, so that's a little more sobering and not exactly a happy situation. Okay, so let's put this in a modern-day story. Ananias and Sapphira are a part of Radiant Springs Church. And they love the community of the church. They like all the people they get together with every week. And they even sort of believe it's the truth, like they believe in Jesus. Because after all, in that day, being a Christian was pretty dangerous. Uh, The Jews hated you. The Romans didn't like you. In not too many years, there would be tons of persecution, and Christians would be killed. So you don't just say on a whim that you want to be a Christian, right? So they must have had some sense of belief that this was the truth. And they really wanted to be a part of the church. And they saw people like Barnabas who gave so selflessly and probably felt like they had to keep up on appearances. So we don't know if they were incredibly wealthy or not. Maybe they really needed some of that money from the sale of the land. That could be absolutely true, right? But in any case, they sold their property and they decided to give some to the church. So what was the problem? They lied. The church did not demand that they give the full amount. There was no unwritten or written law that said that. The problem was that they were deceptive about it. They lied about it. And by lying to the the apostles, who were God's human representatives of the church, Acts says that they lied to the Holy Spirit. 
That's a bad one. Lying to the Holy Spirit is a bad one. As I read this, there's something else that crossed through my mind, which is, how did Peter know that they were lying? He would never have known, right? I mean, I think that's what they figured. Peter will never know that we're lying, so we're just going to say we gave the whole thing. Peter's never going to know. Did Peter have his secret spies out watching everybody? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So remember, this early church was led by the Holy Spirit. The Christians were hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. And they were using the gifts of the Spirit, which we talked about not too long ago. There's a list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The apostles were spending time in prayer, and God's anointing was powerfully upon them, and they knew God's voice. So in this verse in Hebrews, the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter in a word of knowledge. And Peter knew the voice of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing what we can do if we can, he- if we can know God's voice? I just think about this like, wow, in that instant, Peter knew God's voice. And he was able to move by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Kind of amazing. If they had simply been honest, everything would have been fine. But they lied. Why do you think they lied? Maybe they wanted to be accepted. Maybe they wanted to find value. Maybe they were ashamed that they actually needed some of the money and they didn't want to admit that they needed some of the money, so they were going to lie about it and cover it up. Maybe they just simply wanted to look spiritual. I I don't know, but for some reason they lied about it. But there was a big difference between Barnabas, who turned over his money with no strings attached, and Ananias and Sapphira, who, who lied up front about it. It's just really interesting to have those two different things. So point number one is to reach out in love. Point number two is to reach out as directed by the Spirit. That doesn't mean that you have to give or be generous in the same way that somebody next to you does. It means that the Holy Spirit is going to direct you how to be generous, and you want to follow his voice. And point number three is to reach out with faith and not feelings. Um, And I'll try to explain this a little. Sometimes feelings are really good, okay? But sometimes it's really difficult to be generous. So sometimes our feelings are good, and if we do something good based off of good feelings, that's a really good thing, right? But sometimes our feelings are based on circumstances, and they're not really a very valid representation of the truth. It's just what we feel. So that's where faith comes in. When finances are tough, when our time is tight, it's hard to be generous. It's hard to give. If we're talking about giving financially, maybe we don't trust the person or the organization that we're giving to. Maybe we think that we need something that we just really want, like maybe Scooter's Coffee. And I've heard Peppermint Mocha is in right now, right? So... I'm not a mocha person, but I think a lot of people like that. 
I mean, I think if we were really to look at our resources and how we expend them, sometimes things are things we want, not things that we absolutely need. Sometimes we're just tired of giving. I was talking to somebody um, just this week who has not been giving financially but has been giving of their time, giving and giving and giving, and that person is exhausted, exhausted of giving and needing somebody to give back because they've just been giving out so much. So maybe we're just tired of giving. And then, of course, there's the age-old problem of being jealous of our neighbor's possessions. And we might think this is new to us, but it's not. This has been around forever, all right? So back again to Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, which we read earlier. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet which means to be jealous of what somebody else has to the point that you really want it. Whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If I am coveting what my neighbor has, then I am not using my resources as directed by the Spirit. I'm using them in the way I want to use them. And I don't know about you, but this is something I really struggle with. I really struggle with. For years, I have said, God, I want a bigger house. I would use it for you. If you would just give me a bigger house, I promise you I would use it for you. And to prove that, I have tried to use my little house to the fullest it can be, right? So there's times we invite you all over or we invite other people over. And I keep saying, see, God, I'm using my little house. If you give me a big house, I will use it for you. And to this day, God hasn't seen fit to give me a big house, but that's okay. I like my little house, but... But sometimes we're, we're, we covet what other people have. You know those tours of homes that happen right now around Christmas time? I don't go on them. And I'm just being honest here. I don't go on them because I'm jealous. Instead of being able to just simply enjoy what other people have done, I get so frustrated that I can't do that. Okay, now I know I'm in the wrong. That is not a spiritual attitude to have. That's just me being honest with you. So this is something I struggle with, too, that we are not to covet what our neighbors have, but instead, we're just supposed to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and be generous as he speaks to us. When we, now, when we allow feelings to take over our faith, we're missing out on the blessings of being generous. You know, there's some things that clear, the Bible's clear about. The Bible's clear about tithing. Tithing is 10%. If we don't tithe, we're missing out on something that God wants to give us. I don't, I always tithe, always. I've done it since I was a child, and that is one thing that I always do. But it's not always by feeling, it's by faith. Because I know that this is what God has said is his way, so I just do it. Some people choose not to tithe, but only to give to special projects. And that's okay. We need we need money for special projects. We need resources for special projects. But I just think about Barnabas, who just came in, he gave, and he let God take it from there. There's something about giving th- by the direction of the Holy Spirit that's between me and God, and it just releases me, and it brings such a peace. 
But I'm only mentioning tithing because of the feelings idea. This is not a message on tithing, all right? Tithing is a discipline, just like going to church is a discipline, reading scripture, daily devotional time is a discipline. I need to be consistent and trust God and have faith in God to do the rest. But the generosity that we are seeing in the book of Acts and that we're talking about today goes beyond tithing to the church. It means being led by the Holy Spirit to walk in faith and trust that as we are generous to others, God will completely provide for our needs. So tithing is financial. It involves money, but generosity can be many different things. It can be financial. So if you are blessed with resources and that's a way that you can give, that's a wonderful way to be generous. You can give to charities. You can give to people that you see might be in need. But you can also give of your time. Maybe you can give of your time to watch someone's children or to rake leaves or to take somebody to a medical appointment. That's being very generous. Maybe you can give of your resources by providing meals, which we've been doing a lot of here lately in our church. So to everybody, I have been on the receiving end. Thank you. I've also been on the giving end. That's what a church does, right? So a lot of us have been giving of our resources with meals, maybe passing on clothing or providing shelter for a family in need. Or, as we saw here a few weeks ago, using your allotment of irrigation water to help defer a wildfire. We had that going on too, right? Maybe you can use your talents to serve others, whether it be in the church or in your community. You know, I see um, since COVID, so many people have gone inward and, and the negative to that is that God has given each of us something, some way to contribute. And that's part of being generous, is reaching out with what God has given us and using our gifts and talents, not only to serve within the church, but to serve within our community. It can, I, think, I think generosity can also mean that sometimes we're generous in mercy and grace when others do things that wrong us or hurt us. And there are times where people just seem to need a lot of grace. And it sometimes requires a lot of us to give that grace. But sometimes that's exactly what we need to do. And it's hard to do it on our own, but the Holy Spirit can give us a love for people who just need a little extra mercy and grace right now. In conclusion, the context of this passage is Acts in the early church. So it's talking about the church. Of course, we know that we can always be generous to people outside the church as well. Obviously, yes. But this passage is about how the church treats its own and how they love their own people. I don't really think the people back in the early church days were any more holy than we are right now. In fact, if you read through Paul's letters to the early churches, you'll see how very unholy they were. Um, So don't think of them as somehow being any different than us or this picture-perfect society that we want to hope that we can somehow achieve, right? Instead, they fought over things like who was going to do which jobs in the church. And sub-jobs were too beneath them, right? So there's, Paul talks about serving others because, Jesus even talked about serving others because people didn't want to serve. They disagreed over their responsibilities, Some of the people who were in need said they weren't getting enough stuff. You're overlooking me. You're not giving me enough. I need more, right? 
We see that today, sometimes. They argued over doctrine. They dealt with sin in the church. Read through Corinthians again, and you'll see all sorts of sins that they were dealing with in the church. They were selfish. And yet, if they could be generous, because the Bible says they were all one in heart and mind, they were unified despite each other's falls, faults and despite each other's failures. They were unified. They were moving forward together, and they were generous. So if, we, if they could be generous, then we can be generous. There's a Christian folk story from South India. And it, it talks about a young boy who loved to play with marbles. Any of you ever play with marbles as a kid? All right. So he loved to play with marbles, and he had this special blue marble that it was his winning marble, and he loved this marble, and it had special etching on it, and it was kind of his, that was his key marble right there. So one day he was out for a walk, and he always carried his pockets full of his marbles, and he, uh, he encountered a young girl who had a bag of chocolate, and he wanted her chocolate. So he said, I have a deal for you. How about we trade? I will give you all of my marbles, you will give me all of your chocolates. And they bartered back and forth a little bit and finally decided he would indeed give all of his marbles and she would give all of the chocolates. So they made the trade, and he reached into his pockets to grab the marbles, but he fished around a little bit, and he found that little blue marble, and he stuffed it way down in his pocket where she wouldn't notice it. And then he pulled out the rest, and he gave it to her. And he walked away, and he thought, there, I've done it. I've got all the chocolate. And then he began to doubt. And he turned around to her and he said, did you give me all the chocolate? Now here he was holding back his very best marble and yet he was demanding that she give everything that she had. And I think about this story. And God may not be asking you to sell land and he may not be asking you to give away money but he might be asking you to be generous in other ways. But what marble are you holding back? What are you saying, all right, God, I'll give you just about everything I've got, but there's one thing that you're holding on to that you're not willing to let God use. And yet we turn to God and we say, okay, God, give me everything you have. Just bless me. Just bless me with all of it, God. I'm here, my hands are raised, I'm ready to receive everything you have. And yet, we've got our little blue marble that we've got tucked away. So I don't know what the Lord is speaking to you about as we enter this season of generosity. But maybe think about Barnabas and the example that he set for us. We are a church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need to be people of the Spirit. We need to be in the Word. The Bible needs to be, the words in this Bible need to be louder than the voices that are swirling around in our culture. Because those voices in our culture are pretty loud. And they are telling us things that are directly contrary to what God's word says. So we've got to be in the word. We need to be in prayer. We need to learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit like Peter did. Otherwise, how can we respond to his voice if we don't know what it sounds like? We need to be people who reach out in love and generosity. I'm going to transition back to the piano. Christy's going to come and lead us in some prayer this morning. And I hope that you will um, just...
just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Not, not, every, not all giving is financial. God might be speaking to you about another way that he wants you to reach out. Good job, Amy. We're so proud of you. <laughs> so as Amy was closing, I was thinking, um, what do we hold back? You know, I'm thankful that God didn't hold back, that he gave us Jesus. And the Bible says, for he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we can come to him today and we can hear the message about generosity, but he was a God that was generous. He was a God that gave it all. And if you're here today and you're thinking, um, talking about the early church, well, what does that mean? Is it the building? No, it's not the building. It's us, that we are the church. And if you're here today, there's a promise in the word that if you confess with your mouth and if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so in this closing, I'm going to ask you to search your heart. Do you know him today? Are you part of the church? Have you accepted that gift that God gave to you, that one and only son? So we're going to just say a prayer of salvation today and being thankful that God did not hold back. And that if you're here, just repeat with me this prayer of salvation. It's so simple that if you confess with your mouth, and if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Father, we come to you today. Lord, we just ask that you would search our hearts. Father, we ask that you would cleanse us from sin. That you would give us a heart of righteousness. And that, Lord, if we confess with our mouth today, and we believe in our hearts today, that you died on the cross for us, saved and will be part of that church in Jesus name Amen and today Amy has given us a challenge to be led by the spirit to be a generous people and so today we're just going to just pray for that and and you can just spend some time in prayer but that is as they're closing in a worship song if you do need some special prayer We'll be up here to pray with you. And so, and then they're going to just um, sing this song and just spend some time with the Lord, reflecting on what Amy said, reflecting on what the Holy Spirit's talking to you about today. And if you need some special prayer, Victor. Okay, we're going to dismiss today. Y'all have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for being here. Have a blessed week. Don't forget your pies on the way out. We'll see you next Sunday.